You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity. And there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. While mindfulness is quite the popular practice these days, many people want to become more mindful sans meditation. I believe meditation is a vital practice on its own to move us into a state of inner awareness and will not only continue practicing myself, but will continue to encourage others to find a meditation practice that works for them as well. However, I truly believe the world would be a much better place if everyone was mindful, so I am always looking for exercises, activities, and information on building mindfulness skills that don't necessarily include meditation. Meditation is simply not for everyone, and there is even a small portion of the population that experience a negative reaction to it. So finding alternative techniques to strengthen mindfulness benefits both those who can't or don't enjoy meditation as the main pathway to do so. I had a discussion with Kristen Maneri, a certified mindfulness teacher through the International Mindfulness Teachers Association. She's also a certified habits coach through the Tiny Habits Academy under Stanford University behavior scientist B.J. Fogg. In addition to being a writer and coach, Kristen is the host of the 60 Mindful Minutes podcast which launched in 2017 and has produced inspiring and thought-provoking interviews with over 130 authors. Her new book, Better Daily Mindfulness Habits, Simple Changes with Lifelong Impact, is full of helpful tips to increase mindfulness. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this. I know we're going to talk about your book, Better Daily Mindfulness Habits. And we're going to talk about integrating mindfulness into our relationships and our work. But I first wanted to say, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you because I thought it was really great to see a book about building your mindfulness skills that does not require meditation. Because I know we have a lot of people in different trainings that want to be more mindful, but they are really resistant to meditation. So I was very excited to read the book to see, okay, what tips and tricks can we give people to help them become more mindful? So thank you for that. You're welcome. I was curious what prompted you to write the book. Well, I have 
been on the mindfulness journey for quite a few years now. And I think anybody on this journey knows that it's, it's practice, right? Like sometimes you're getting it, sometimes you're nailing it and mostly you're not, (laughs) you know, it's just life. Right. And I did have, I still do have a meditation practice, but it just, frankly, just wasn't cutting it. Like I just didn't feel like I was able to have the amount of mindfulness. If you can even quantify it that I I wanted to have, I, I wanted to feel like mindfulness was just more integrated into my life. And then I guess a couple of years ago, the habits books started coming out, you know, power of habits and tiny habits, atomic habits, you know, all of that. And I, I got really into those. And I think that's when the light bulb went off for me. It was, oh, if I want to be more mindful, I have to start creating habits for mindful moments, like habits for that will allow me to enter into a mindful moment in time. And it became less of me trying to cultivate this ongoing state of mindfulness And realizing that what's more accessible or even more realistic is that I punctuate the daily living of my life with moments of mindfulness. And they can be fleeting. They could be milliseconds or they can be minutes. I haven't gotten any further than that. But so, yeah, it was it was really realizing, oh, wow, they they really go together like they're really great siblings, mindfulness and habits. And so that's when I started crafting the book proposal for it. And and I pitched it. And and then next thing I knew, I was writing a book. Excellent. Well, in each section, you cover building healthier habits and also breaking bad habits, which I appreciate because we do a lot of training actually on developing habits and overlaying habits, you know, with healthier ones. So that spoke to me right away. I'm wondering if you could tell us what a couple of habits we could tinker with when we're trying to strengthen our relationships and that could be with, you know, your significant other or your family or your coworkers, but do you have any little tips or suggestions for people? Sure. So the one that I'd love to share, actually a friend of mine who is in um, senior level management at a really large company, actually, after she read the book, she came to me and she said, I'm going to start using this with all of my direct reports. So I hadn't thought of it as a kind of a workplace habit, but apparently it can be, and it's working really well for her. So the habit is asking two questions and the questions are, uh, what would you have me know about your life? And what would you like to be acknowledged for? And those are two questions that you can ask with your life partner. They can be asked with your kids. They could ask, you know, with your best friend. But what they do is they change the way that we interface with each other from that kind of surface level, what's going on, how are you, how is your day, to going down a couple layers deeper. And so the first one, what would you have me know about your life? It's a little more investigative than what's new. It's like, what's happening in your life that's worth you really sharing with me? What's, what's big enough that you would really want me to know about that? And the second is, what would you like to be acknowledged for? Is probably one of my favorite questions to ask anyone of all time, because it gives someone a chance to look to see where they maybe have grown, where they have traversed a challenge, where they got gritty, where they did something that maybe they'd like to be appreciated for. I think asking uh, your life partner, what would you be acknowledged for? can kind of open up a Pandora's box. (laughs) Well, I'd like to be acknowledged for doing the dishes for the 26th time this week, but, but that that's, that's an entryway to a conversation about 
acknowledging and appreciating. And so those are just two ways that I love to kind of jump into the deep end with people. When you said that I had to think about it, like I would have to think about that, what I would want to be acknowledged for, because I don't really think about that very often. So I know right away, that's a good question because it causes reflection. Mm -hmm. That's great. I also appreciated your description of our workplaces. So you said something along the lines of that they could be a place for growth and evolution instead of just doing stuff and making money, which I totally agree with. But I wanted to know if you could share some of the benefits of working mindfully and how mindfulness can help us adopt that sort of growth concept instead of a paycheck concept. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to notice that we spend the larger portion of our lives uh, from Sunday to Sunday at work. Most of our days are spent at work. And so if we aren't going to integrate mindfulness or, or to look at work as a place where we can grow as human beings, as, as, you know, a person that's on a life journey, then we're missing out on a huge part of our opportunity. So I I don't look at growth as something I do as a hobby or something I do like just on the weekends. It's something that we all can do in every aspect of our life, but really, especially at work, because it's usually one of the places where we're most challenged. It's when we feel stress. It's when we feel maybe rivalry or jealousy, or it's where we feel our ineptness. Um, It maybe is where we're challenged with humility. You know, maybe we feel like total rock stars and we could grow in ways of becoming more humble. So I think the first thing is just to say, if we really look at our lives as a holistic, as all of our livings of our lives are worthy of our growth and our attention and intention, then work is definitely one of the places to do that. But I think on a more pragmatic level, we get access to our creative selves when we're more mindful at work, our more discerning selves. I know when I'm working mindlessly, it's more like I'm a jackhammer, just chipping away at this giant mountain of things to get done. But when I can approach it with a little more awareness and presence, I might even ask, should I even be doing this? Like, is this even worth my time? You know, you hear about that paradigm of like, what's urgent and important, what's not urgent, not important. And those lines all blur when we're working, especially if we're working in kind of a frantic pace, everything feels urgent. Everything feels like it should have done five minutes ago. So I think mindfulness and really having pauses within the day to reflect, like, is this the best use of my time? How am I being in this relationship? I think that's the third part I'll mention is we have relationships at work and sometimes really important relationships. And so being able to show up in those relationships in a way that is really allowing our best selves to shine, not in order to get a promotion, hustle, but because why not practice allowing the best version of ourselves to be in the world for the benefit of the people that we are with? Uh, I think that's a big part of it as well. Excellent. Yeah. And you talk about how it's not about doing something new. It's really about doing what you're already doing, but doing it a little bit differently to be more mindful about it, which I think is absolutely true. You can file papers mindfully. Yeah. You're just paying attention. But most people, I mean, I know I do. It's just, you know, I'm completely mindless at that point. So good tip. What are some of the bad work habits we might have and maybe want to replace with healthier habits? Well, I think actually I'll, it's a good habit and a breaking a bad habit all at once. But I think a bad habit that I've really seen take root, I think it was always a problem, but even more so now when so many people chose to work from home or had to work from home and have now continued to do that. 
is that this line of delineation of like, this is when I'm working and this is when I'm not working has gotten really, really murky. And I I think we were already headed this direction because of smartphones and technology. So a bad work habit is always working, always being on, always like having that tendency to just check my email, check my texts, you know, check any messaging feed that I might be on. So a good work habit, a mindful habit to, to integrate would be having the practice of a closing ritual. So deciding when does work end for you? Maybe it's when dinner needs to be started, or maybe there's a commute that needs to happen, or uh, maybe I have a kid's soccer game that I need to be getting to, but, and that might change day to day, but being able to acknowledge there actually is an end to my work day. And I actually deserve to have an end to my work day. It doesn't have to be when I fall asleep at night. So first it's just acknowledging that, like, what is the time? Is it five o'clock? Is it six 30? Whatever that is. And then actually creating a closing ritual. You know, maybe I, I don't just close my laptop. Maybe I power it down. Maybe I don't, I don't have apps on my phone anymore. I, I delete those so that I don't access all of my email or anything. Maybe I hum a little, you know, closing time song or something, or uh, maybe I get up and I do a couple of stretches. Maybe I go change my clothes. You know, if I'm someone that works from home, that might seem ridiculous, but the act of a ritual that says that was what I was wearing for work and now I'm home. If you don't have a commute, maybe it's literally going on a, a walk around your block, creating a commute so that there's this little buffer time between I was working and now I'm and now I am home, even if I really never left home. So I think it's really important to create a very definitive space that says here was work and here is not work and being able to really honor that and practice. It's going to take practice because we have this habit of like, well, I'm just going to pick up my phone and check my email, or I'm going to get back to this person at work and really just starting to practice that, that ritual, that habit, that discipline of keeping those parts of your life separate. I think that's so true. It's one of the biggest challenges that we hear from our clients is the work-life balance. We had a client in a workshop tell us that in the middle of the shutdowns or the last shutdown, I've, I've lost track now. Are we home? I don't yeah, know. Which one are we in? <laughs> um, but she found it so disturbing because she used her commute time as mm-hmm. her ritual. On the way to work, she got out of her home sort of mindset and switched. And then on the way home, she kind of let work go. And then she was ready to you know, deal with family. And she told us that she just started at the end of the work day, whatever time that was, she would leave the house, get in the car, drive around the block and then come back in. And that solved her problem. She just had yeah. to have some kind of a demarcation. So excellent advice. I have a lot of concerns about technology in our lives these days. I just think it's wreaking havoc with human beings at this point, but you had it in the book as a barrier to mindfulness, as well as a chapter on being digitally mindful. And so I'm wondering, since it affects both our personal lives, our professional lives, our relationships on all fronts, I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are about devices and apps related to mindfulness versus mindlessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say about that is that the structure, the technology, the, the sort of the genius behind it all is that it's meant to produce mindlessness. I kind of think of it like a casino. Like once you're in, it's really hard to find the way out. There's no clocks. They keep, you know, a good airflow going so that you don't get tired. Our apps are the exact same. Like they're meant to keep us in and to make us go deeper. And I know that sounds like some sort of diabolical evilness going on. It's, it's just capitalism. The longer we're there, the more money somebody makes. 
And so knowing that, knowing that it's very intentionally devised to create mindlessness, we have to bring the same amount of intention in order to produce mindfulness. And I think one of the ways to do that is to create spaces of time in your day that are no technology zones. So an example of that might be um, my everything turns off at 8 p.m. We even have an internet router that turns off, like the internet just stops working at a certain amount of time. It used to be 11 o'clock. And then I think when the time changed, it was 10 o'clock. But so even if you're in the middle of a movie, (laughs) it's like, it's not so much fun on Saturday night when you're good with staying up a little late, but being able to utilize some structures, phones have a a turn off time. I know, I know Apple phones, iPhones have an option of basically turning off access to certain apps during a certain time. So that might be something that someone employs in the evening so that they can break out of that, that habit, a tendency to just be on their phones until they go to bed. Same thing goes for the morning. So I've always had the habit of, of parking my phone at night, having it plugged in, having it in airplane mode in the kitchen. It's not next to my bed. So I don't have that tendency to wake up and reach for it. Now, when I'm on vacation, what's really interesting is I'll likely have it next to my bed. Maybe I've been using it for my alarm or something. And I, that temptation is so strong. I wake up and it's right there. I want to want to check things. I want to do things. So just noticing that the environment, that just the proximity of the phone causes a lot of compulsive behavior and just something simple like your client, just a simple change produces an important behavior change, just leaving it in the kitchen. But the same thing could be said for, you know, dinner, you know, having that as a no technology zone, Uh, maybe the first hour that someone gets home from work for us for the longest time, our schedule has been in real flux for the last couple of months. So it hasn't been something we've done in a while, but for over three years, we had a Sabbath on Sundays and there was no technology on Sunday. So it was the entire day. And of course my kids managed to, to bag out for one hour of technology on Sundays, but it's really just creating these zones because it, when we acknowledge without the dam in place, I'm just going to pick it up. I'm just going to hear the ding. I'm going to watch the thing. I'm going to scroll the thing. So I think creating these little sort of oasis of, of no technology is one way to kind of battle this real war that we're fighting for our attention. It's incredible to me. I really thought I was exempt from becoming addicted. This was a few years ago because I thought I was pretty mindful about my device use. And I went on a writer's retreat up in the mountains near Ojai, California, and knew in advance there was absolutely no service. So I had my phone with me for the GPS, but then when we got there, I just out of habit, set it in the guest room I was in and three different times I picked it up to use it, knowing that there was no service before I caught on like, Oh, you, you're not exempt. You really need to be more mindful. And now I'm very mindful. Like people get aggravated with me because I'm just, I am getting very tired of the technology. I leave it in another room, even during the day a lot, (laughs) it's kind of ignore it unless I need it. Cause I think that's part of it too. What's driving your use? Is it because you need it for something or is it just because it's there calling you? And so I try to make sure I really am intentionally using it for what I want versus, and you're right, it's capitalism, but instead I tell myself, I don't want to be manipulated Yeah, to remind me like, nope, I'm in control of when I use my devices, but it is hard. Well, and it's, it's modeling the behavior too. And Mm -hmm. I think as adults, it takes a certain amount of humility to admit, like, I don't always model what I want my kids to actually do. And so in our family, we've just created a real acceptance of accountability. You know, my kids will totally call me out, mom, get off your phone. And I welcome it. 
in a moment I might be aggravated because I was just about to do something and, and I felt like that was important enough to be on my phone, but it's being able to say, yep, thank you. Thank you for reminding me, like being able to admit, like, I am just like, as you did, I am just as susceptible to the mindless compulsiveness of, of technology as, you know, an 11 year old and being able to create a, a space where my being corrected is welcome just as me correcting her is welcome. So it's tough. I think we have to turn the mirror on ourselves as adults when we start um, trying to correct other people with their technology habits. <laughs> exactly. And I, I did find it amusing, you know, for years, there were all these restrictions that you could put on your children's phones. And oh, yeah. I kept observing like adults need this too. Yes. <laughs> and, so yeah. they, and now they are, of course, now there's all kinds of apps to help you minimize, you know, what you're doing, but yeah. it's like, the, the adults are doing it just as much as the kids. hundred percent. I completely agree with you. I thought it was a great book and an easy read as far as the practices and the explanations and uh, some of the science behind it. Do you have any final thoughts about how people can start making these changes to integrate mindfulness into their lives? Yeah, I think just looking at ways to have mindful pauses. So looking at the things that you're already doing, our lives are already filled with dozens, maybe even hundreds of habits that are well established in our life. We don't have to remind ourselves to brush our teeth or to, I don't know, there's a lot of things that we do that are already very mind mindless. And we can take those existing habits and attach habits to them. So for example, having the habit of when you get in the car, right before you start the car, just stopping for a moment, maybe putting a hand on your heart taking a few mindful breaths, just kind of coming back to yourself. You could start right before you begin eating, just taking a mindful pause. Uh, you could do it right after you go to the bathroom, maybe as you're washing your hands. And we're all supposed to be washing our hands more mindfully anyways. So rather than think about it, as you said before, is like these extra things that I need to be doing, look at what you're already doing and seeing how could I just be there for that? Washing my hands, starting my car, having my first couple bites of my meal and using that as a practice to have more mindfulness and, and presence and, and more joy. Cause that's where we really enjoy our lives is when we're actually in it. You know, we're not thinking about the past. We're not thinking about next week. You know, we're, we're here in this moment. That's when we really feel the joy of being alive. So it's, it's a good pursuit. It's worth it. Absolutely. The book is Better Daily Mindfulness Habits, Simple Changes with Lifelong Impact. So I want to thank you so much, Kristen, for being with us today and sharing all of your insights. I hope everyone finds it very helpful. Thank you, Teresa. It was so great being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. You too. I really appreciated Kristen's message that we don't have to strive to be mindful every moment of the day, but to choose to have several mindful moments instead. Life happens in those moments, so it's well worth the effort to start a practice and keep adding to it. Until next time, we can live better lives and create a better world. All it takes to get started is a mindful moment. Meditation is the most effective technique to strengthen mindfulness. The key to experiencing the full benefits of this practice is to meditate every day, even if you start with just a few minutes and work your way up to 20 to 30 minutes per session over time. Consistency counts, and the benefits are cumulative. So be kind to yourself and meditate daily. 
We have guided meditations to help you get started at worktoliveproductions.com. But here are the instructions for a simple sitting meditation to get you started. Sit comfortably with feet flat on the floor and hands on your lap. Close your eyes or soften your gaze and begin noticing your breath. Breathe normally, paying focused attention to each in-breath and out-breath. Notice every detail from where you feel your breath in your body to the pace, depth, and temperature as the air moves in and out. Each time your mind wanders away from the breath, simply return your focus to the breath. It is in this noticing that you're building your mindfulness skills. Your mind may wander a hundred times in just a couple of minutes, and that's normal. Each time you notice, that's mindfulness. Work to Live's Dynamic Coaching Certification Program is a self-paced online course series that strengthens emotional intelligence and mindfulness skills, along with relationship building, communication skills, time management, self-motivation, and more. Visit our website for an informational video on the program. You can also find resources for self and leadership development, as well as the latest books by authors we interview on this show. Go to worktoliveproductions.com slash book club to start shifting your quality of life today. And be sure to visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live, where you'll find videos of our interviews, animated shorts on daily living and working, guided meditations, and more. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at Work to Live. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee, and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat, by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll, by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.